recording now. Oh, good God. So, I don't know how long we'll talk. We'll just talk and we'll find out what happens. How about that? Yeah, sounds good, mate. Sounds good. I don't really have an agenda. I don't I don't have a plan. Yeah, no worries, I'm, man. Have, have a bit of chin wag. I'm, I'm flying by the seat of my pants. You found a you found a space of serenity, I see. Uh, this I've actually managed. To, <laughs> I've managed to get my office space back. That's great. Oh. But, um, this is I, you know, I've become the power of the female. Well, you know, I just said, "Hey, love, I need a I need a quiet space. Can you can you go up the front and um, let the men chat in the back of the house?" Yeah, I'll pull that card too. I've got mine sunbathing out the back, so. Oh yeah, because you'll hate that. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. tough life. It, it's hilarious because you can probably see that we're sun drenched in the back, except it's the coldest room in the house. So I'm in like the full on. I might as well, I bought this top in Melbourne. All right, shout out to my old mates at Adventure Fit. Uh, <laughs> good old. Uh, Old Melbourne weather. It's cold down there. It's ridiculous. I don't. I, I don't know what it is about my house, but it's really hot in summer and really cold in cold in winter. Uh, if you can call winter winter when it's in Noosa. Yeah, it's not quite the same, is it? Up here in Noosa, it's. Um, although I've, we found it, we we came back from Mackay last year, so. Um, oh wow. Yeah, it gets the further north you go it just changes it's a good thing about aussie it's so diverse it's an amazing country it's amazing i don't know how i'd go if i went back to melbourne i mean i've I've gotten weak yeah i'm a soft kiwi self-labeled uh yeah struggle cold over there (laughs) yeah melbourne's you know there's there's comparatives there so um yeah no i i I don't think I could do it at the moment, but I suppose you adapt to anything. It's crazy, isn't it? Like, I don't know. I don't don't know how, now that I'm in Noosa, I don't know how I did Melbourne for so many years. (laughs) I I really don't. I've got absolutely no idea how I managed it. I was Melbourne born and bred, right? So, but I couldn't do it again. Last time I was in Melbourne, we were doing a, a mission to pick up a four-wheel drive and we flew down there and um, Rachel and I were catching like the early morning train out of Flinders to go to um, sail and um, we were waiting for this train and like Rachel was doing everything she could to like keep me warm. I was in the full panic shakes because it was that (laughs) cold. (laughs) So that was the, on, on this mission, fully loaded with cash down to buy a vehicle you know just that could be the straightest drive in all of victoria the drive uh, and the track the train's very similar but melbourne like directly east to sail and is a mind numbing drive mind not the whole way but there's like this stretch that just keeps going straight forever <sighs> Yeah, right. I'm trying to trying to remember which way we went because we bought the vehicle, had to hire a trailer because he put so much, gave us so much extra stuff with the with the vehicle, and then we drove 
it back up to Queensland. Um, I s- presume you would go that way. Keep yeah, going well, east, would, and yeah, we went out the coast. Sense. Wouldn't make any sense to. Would make any sense to go back to Melbourne and then go up the Hume. So you probably would have gone directly north because we did this a couple of years ago before the pandemic. <laughs> we uh, we travelled south and just sort of brushed past Canberra through that big lake or past that big lake that's just in Canberra. I can't remember. Apparently it's filling up again now. <laughs> Someone will tell me what the lake is afterwards. Um, but it was dry as a bone, this lake, and it just looked like old sheep paddocks that were half, you know, a little bit boggy. Not Burley Griffin. I mean the big lake, the natural lake that's just outside of Canberra. Uh, but that's probably what you would have done straight north from there. Mm. It's that a good was, drive. Um, that was lovely. Drive. Well, yeah, we stayed in a coastal town up on the way up and, yeah, went out through Bega and, yeah. That's it, was it quite, Bega, yep. Yeah, it was, it was really neat. Rach and I enjoyed that, that mission. Enjoy doing fun missions it's like good that one. fun doing that. Mm. That's something I miss. Oh, we got trapped Easter, Easter this year. So we organized everything, whacked the kids in the car. The dog who was just in the background a moment ago, as a pup, we'd picked up like 10 days beforehand. And when we're going down to mum and dad's, my mum and dad's who are in southeast Gippsland, not far from Sale, maybe an hour west of Sale, hour and a half-ish. So same trip, right? We've got it all planned out. Drive south. We get to mate's place, stay there for the night, say good day, just outside of Coffs Harbour. And this is when Brisbane went into that, you know, started being called the red zone, the red zone. Yes. And we thought, oh, well, all right. Well, we didn't stop in Brizzy. We stopped for petrol, which you're allowed to do. No one got out of the car except to pay the bill and put the nozzle in the tank. We're okay. It's all good. Mm. We get to Sydney. And my son's teacher sends my wife, Erica, a text message. You might want to look at the advisory online. And we're like, oh, fuck, here we go. (laughs) And they've extended it from the city of Brisbane out to greater Brisbane. And my boy has been camping a week beforehand on North Stradbroke Island. Oh, modern day region. Mm. Which, which falls into the new red zone. So Victoria says, thanks for coming, but we're not letting anyone in. And none of us have been anywhere near the outbreak. So we're all like, oh, here we go. This is good. So we decide to turn back because our border pass is now invalid. It's illegal to get across the border. All this, All these shenanigans. There's a paper trail proving that we've been in the, uh, you know, we're not going to risk anything. We don't, we don't want to rub anyone the wrong way. We don't want to risk infecting anyone. So we drive home, we get to Tweed Heads. We all have the thing up the nose to make sure we haven't been exposed to anyone and get home, nothing. Storm in a teacup, nothing happened. Storm in a teacup. And meanwhile, you know, We've, we've had to cancel Airbnb, so there's people who missed out on our money. We had our house up on Airbnb for a couple of weeks over Easter, which we do every now and then. That all falls over. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, okay, got out of that all right. It cost a few thousand dollars in the end. And I think there's a lot of stories like that now. And that's, that, that's like, two weekend, like two school holidays in a row too. Easter was the first one, and then they did mm-hmm. it in the second one. Yeah. Um, we didn't bother going for it again. 
yeah, you know, this is what's hap- This is what's happening, you know, and it, it's driving. Uh, uh, people who have been burnt once are cautious about being burnt again, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, but you, oh, so you've had the PCR test. Oh, it's good fun. Oh, yeah, so much fun. I'm refusing. I'm, I'm, my, I'm just outright refusing. They can take bloods of mine and all that sort of stuff, but mm. I'm not having that shit up my nose. Well, we just did it because we'd visited a bunch of people on the way through mm. and we, you know, not very savvy about all of these things. And I, I don't know much about infection and vectors and all this kind of stuff, but I just wanted people to feel okay. Because my sister and her, her husband, who we stayed with for a night, they work in the city of Sydney. They're exposed to a lot of people. I don't want to be the person who kicked oh. off the next, you know, like the next lockdown for the city. And I'd been, you know, just just outside of coughs. And how many times have we stopped at big servos to fill up the car? So we all went and got it done, of course. Oh, for sure. And I'm not judging either way. I just, for me, I, I just won't, I, and I don't mind being tested for mm. all of that sort of stuff. It was just, I won't have the, the oh. swab, the PCR oh, test. I just, I so, um, Not nice. Yeah. I, it is not a good experience. No, I, uh, I, I struggle. I try to stay out of the COVID mess as much as possible. And I'm lucky I don't have kids and, you know, like I'm not in government systems too much. So mm. it's really nice to, to not be in, involved in the news and media. Like I was saying before, you said, oh, yeah, we're coming out of lockdown. 4 p.m. today. I was like, oh, yeah, awesome. You know, that's the first bit of news. Of, I wouldn't I have known. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have known. I struggled. Yeah. My beautiful boss lady told me I wouldn't have known. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, the news is hard from the very moment you start listening. Yeah. I just, I struggled now. Um, it's just, uh, look, the news media is no longer, I mean, was it ever, but it is no longer balanced. Like there's no, there's no pretending anymore. Yeah. The, once you see it and, uh, I don't know, it's, every time you hear the dramatic music, it's like, it seems condescending mm. to me because it's like, how, what do you play me for? You know, like you don't need to make it like that. That's just not that bad. It's irritating. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it becomes irritating to me every time you hear it. So we don't, we don't have a TV in our house. Um, we've got an iPad and, and laptop and phone, but no Wi-Fi, no TV and, um, it's been an interesting change that one for me because really? I'm a yeah, massive sports person and that sort of stuff. I still follow sports, but not. Mm. I think that's probably uh, aside from the odd sit down with Netflix that Erica and I will do of an evening just to, you know, find something that's somewhat mindless. We normally watch documentaries, so they're not mindless. But aside from that, my television usage would be sports, mm. and that'd be it. Um, yeah, I've been converted since I moved to Queensland. Like, I watch league now. I don't watch any AFL. My dad is like almost disowned me. Well, yeah, I was going to say Victorian. Yep, not big AFL fan, and now he's was, come up for the league. Yeah, was a big AFL fan, but the games changed so much. You know, it's like, you know, when sports become professional, I think this is true of all sports that you get professional athletes 
not necessarily professional footballers or professional cricketers. They're athletes. They have that professional ethos to apply themselves to a particular end. And it changes the game because they're playing it as a professional, not as a, a fan almost. Like I remember the mm-hmm. 80s when I used to watch AFL. They were just footballers. At you know, halftime, they're probably knocking back a VB. You know, so <laughs> it's not serious, right? They've got real jobs and they just play yes. footy for fun on the weekends. And then it gets professional. And you see this in, uh, in mixed martial arts. I'm a big mixed martial arts fan. So I've been doing martial arts my whole life. They used to be fighters 20 years ago and now they're athletes who can fight. Mm. And it changes it. It doesn't make it worse. It just makes it different. And that's what happened for me and Aussie rules football. It became less about positional play and more about running around chasing the football, which it looks like under nines to me now. Yeah, I struggle. That's, I generally keep a slow on where the AFL table is going and that sort of thing. Like an, no just idea. a very, very loose update. Um, but I can't watch a game really. I'll watch highlights and all of that sort of stuff, you know, intermittently. But um, it's probably one of the sports I keep up with the least. I'm a big UFC <laughs> fan too. Yeah, well, mixed martial arts. Um, yeah. With the I wish there different... was more than UFC. Yeah, Belator and... Yeah. Um, was it Bellator, one... yeah. Yeah, Bellator and one and championship. One FC. Yeah. One, but, one yeah, championship. Wouldn't it be good if they just fought each other? Like you yeah. could have cross-promotion kind of events. I think that'd be where it is. Yeah, it may look look at doing something like that. Obviously, they've done a few boxing crossovers. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, one's, one's pretty up there. Yeah, I'm not too sure. UFC's pretty elite and I've gone to some pretty big lengths to grow the sport, um, extend its reach while in COVID. So um, it's amazing that they've been able to continue putting events on the logistics must be maddening. Yeah. I mean, but money, I mean, well, they sold it for how many billion to it was a WME bought it or. Yeah, that was, um, that was yeah. I'm not sure how how much it went for, but it was that was a big. Lot. A lot. <laughs> That's why all the fighters are trying to get some more of the purse, aren't they? Well, and so they should. I mean, it's their it's their brain cells and their body, and there has to be more money for the fighters. I mean, I think that's it's kind of a worldwide thing at the moment that the workers getting squeezed, the middle classes getting squeezed, the money's all filtering upwards. Yeah, it seems to be that. All, I mean, all of all of the you look at the um, rich list from over in the, oh. the states, all the billionaires. You see how much they've made over COVID. Crazy, you know, all, all that's doing is on the other end of the scale. Is it's just crippling the lower and, and middle socioeconomic um, families and households because um, all the small business, everything's they're, they're, they're doing it backwards i i struggle to see a solution with this i'm not an economic genius by any any means but listen to a few podcasts here and there and 
whether they're going to continue on with this this bubble of debt that we have, um, whether we're going to go into a recession and try and recover some of it. It's what generally what we have to do to mm. to, to to recoup it. Um, but they're going to have to continue printing more and more money because they're not. It's not like COVID's got a, a an end in sight at the moment. Realistically, nah. if they're going to continue pushing this narrative that they do, can't can't really can't really see uh, it finishing within the twelve month period at the moment. No, well, it won't. I mean, I, I mean, this is the new normal. Something like this. Mm. I don't. I don't see it going back to the way it was. I think it's developing and evolving because either way, I think it's highlighted and exposed a lot more um, cracks and flaws in the system. I think a few mm. more people have um, been exposed to living below the poverty line for one. Um, and hand to mouth, you know, just the week to week kind of thing. Yep. And struggling to get accommodation, especially up here in, you know, Queensland, but I think that's quite common in Australia at the moment. Housing's quite tough. Yeah. Um, I think the median house price in Melbourne just started, it's just topped a million dollars. Yeah, right. You know, it's like a dodgy old place that no one would have touched 10 years ago. It's now a million dollar entry. Thanks for coming. Mm. Yeah, right. We were talking about that recently. Like, if, if you're still required to have a 20% deposit, that means you need 200K in the bank to get a loan. How Real achievable. Get, well, how do you get 200K in the bank? That's a, yeah. I don't have the answer. I don't <laughs> still trying to work it out for myself. Yeah, just a few gener- generational shifts. Yeah, they have to filter through um, financially. Yeah, that big talk about the baby boomers and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I, um, Economics is an interesting thing. Like, yeah, as you just said, I too am not an economic genius. No, no, doesn't. No. Make any sense to me. Uh, well, yeah, I've, I, my money perspectives changed immensely over the past six years for me. Mm-hmm. So I went from Rachel and I, we don't, obviously we don't have any kids, but um, we did try and, and we're unsuccessful a couple of times, but um, we were double income, no kid minors, you know, for mm-hmm. five, six years, we had a couple of properties, all that sort of stuff. And then, you know, I got sick and um, had to put all that money into healthcare and blah, blah, blah. But you like started, all I did was put value and place value on money everywhere I did. So evolution and change, development, I just, I'm probably gone too far the other way and, you know, need to be more creative in that way. But money's just, causes so many issues because people mm, aren't educated enough on it, on, you know, how to, how to use it and that sort of stuff. Mm. So 
I don't know how the next generation or, or everything's coming through on that, but. Hmm. I don't remember being taught anything about money at school. Yeah, everything was from just my mum, I suppose. Mm. She was financial. Dad wasn't hopeless, but. So it's an interesting thing, right? Like you've got a generation upon generations of people who are educated by their parents who may or may not have a good relationship with money. And I think, I think underlining it all is the philosophy that money is, is the conductor, you know, on earth really is Mm. that's the, that's a belief system that just runs throughout, you know, that's what I've observed, I suppose, Um, especially since the shift, because, um, you know, so much of their own personal narrative is created around that, you know, where you sit with money, how much you have or how much you're earning or, you know. Yeah, perceived value of self. Pretty much. You know, and where does that where does that take you? You know, like it's coming back on my change on, you know, continue reflection on what's important to you. Yeah, money's not, doesn't come up that list. I mean, you still got to eat and it, <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm, Food's I'm good. on a dis- yeah, disability pension with, uh, you know, not very, very little capital and, you know, trying to have money to save my life. But, you know, it's not the, the most important thing in the world, even with the life on the line. So, mm. so yeah, it's an interesting, you know, area to explore, I suppose, when when it comes to one's importance on it. Yeah, I can remember, oh, geez, I won't, I'll, I'll absolutely murder the quote. This from Will Smith, who, like, I, I have a lot of time for Will Smith since the Fresh Prince days. <laughs> you know, I just feel like he's, he was a kid who had a desire to do something different. And just kept trying new stuff until it worked. Uh, but he was saying something like he was talking about money and fame. And so ultimately you need enough money for a roof over your head, food on the table and medicine. He said, the rest is all just fluff. And it's like, yes, I've got a lot of money now, but I don't need it. But this is what, this is all you need. And I know it got probably got a bunch of people's knickers in a twist because he's someone who's got a lot of money talking about it. But I think he was talking from the perspective of, I know what it's like to not have money mm-hmm. back in the, you know, back in the day. And that's just a really nice way of thinking about it because when you like bare bones, right? What do you need? Warmth, you need your clothes. You need a house or somewhere to live. You don't have to own a house, but you need something. You need a roof. Mm-hmm. You can live without a roof. We're talking sort of a moderately comfortable, or you know, a fairly comfortable living. Access to medicine yeah, helps. Food. Don't need three cars and two jet skis and four holiday houses. I don't know. I've got an interesting relationship with money. One part of me is like, it'd be nice to have a lot of it. So I didn't have to worry about it. And then the other part of me is if I had a lot about it, a lot of it, I'd probably worry about 
the lot of it that I had. I don't think it'd change much. It might, it'll make a few things easier, right? But I've, I've had this thought lately about, you know, because I've been hit pretty dramatically by COVID with, with my practice and my business and so forth. Mm-hmm. I had a very successful business in Melbourne, which led me to moving up here and a whole bunch of contracts fell over. So financially, it wasn't very wonderful at the time. But I didn't become any less happy. I just became more distrusting of some people. Um, And now, you know, this current lockdown completely obliterated my calendar for the next few weeks. So that's immediate cash flow issues. But I'm not any less happy. I could probably be less financially stressed, you know, because you, know, you have to work out how to pay the bills and feed the kids and <laughs> all that kind of, put petrol in the car. But I'm not any less happy. In fact, when I was in Melbourne earning lots more money, I was less happy. So, tis what tis. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And then coming back to the what we're talking about from Will Smith, the house over your roof over your head and food on the table and that sort of stuff, you know, like um, separating the stress from the happiness, you know, and the money issues, it's so important to do. Um, mindfulness for me was a big one that helped me learn that. You know, like mm. it, I learned it probably, well, I went back and I shouldn't say I learned it. It's not really, I started to, to um, dive into it and did a um, teacher training course. When was this? How long ago? Uh, two, three years ago now. Oh yeah. It's in a real dark, like six months of my life, probably the darkest for me. And um went through and learned this and just learned how to, to be in, in the present and then started to learn how to see where the, the hook or the trigger was for me. And then when I jumped on the thought train, whether it be negative, most of the time negative, how it would go and started to understand that process. And then I started to reflect on, you know, all of these, these things. Cause I've always had, I've had plenty of time in the last six years. It's not like, you know, I went, went to work for six months the end of last year for the first time in five years, you know, so plenty of time to philosophize on all of that and big, big uh, turning point for me learning just how to be mindful about yep. stuff. You can add it to all different aspects of your life and, and you know, like, and I'm not going to, with the financial stuff, I'm not going to throw stones in glass houses, you know, when I'm, I, I claim my own life insurance, right? Um, and went out and bought a dream car, you know, like that was where my head was when I first got sick. Um, went out and had a flash car and and um, ended up selling it for medical expenses. But it was, you know, like when it left, it was okay because it was just, it was, it, it started to shift for me because it's just a car, you know, Mm. I have to pay for medical expenses. So I'm intrigued. um, What kind of car was it? uh, HSV, VF, GDS. 
Good the last, God. yeah, the Widowmaker, the, the Slipstream Blue. Yeah, and I had it tuned pretty much straight off the 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 floor. Um, it was just my dad cried when I sold it. It was just um, I'm a massive motorsport fan. Like, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if you can see a SVG shirt. <laughs> went uh you know like so i was, I was you know bucket list things that sort of stuff you know it's like i've really had to go into that sort of thing because was that, we, was that where your head was your head in that space where you were just trying to tick stuff off at that point oh sh- shit yeah man like um I, like when i first found out from the pet scan where the cancer was you know the first diagnosis i don't even know I was, if i I don't think we've even talked about what you got diagnosed with. But uh, Richie, so like I got ASPS, um, so sarcoma, rare sarcoma, um, one of the rarest in the world. Uh, I got diagnosed with a brain tumor, like golf ball in the brain, so they had oh. surgery. Um, Was that something had, like headaches and all that kind of stuff that led yeah, to that? Yeah, um, man, doing night shift on the dozer big d11 dozer you know sort of thing splitting um, headache. yeah yeah splitting headache and never had one never had a headache before in my life oh, shit. so that wasn't a good sign yeah so brain surgery um they biopsied that tumor a couple more in the, the front of the brain um and then they did the body scan and like pancreas lungs abdomen Admin wall, uh, adrenal glands, you know, like in, like the the one in, that was encompassing my pancreas is it was started off about ten centimeters, and um, it's last time I measured is about thirteen and still there. So we just got the snapshot on diagnosis stage four, you know, which is less than twelve months. A doctor said, you know, we can never, never tell, but mm. roughly looking like, you know, you've got months more than weeks. So this is, yeah, this is six years ago. This was six years ago. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's like, it's real important. Cause that's the perspective. So you've got, mm. oh shit, there goes time. Time's the important thing now, you know, that's mm-hmm. the, the number one focus. And, um, and then that becomes all of you know the the tears and suffering and all of that sort of stuff with it. But that was the perspective on you know what I knew because I'm not a doctor or any of that sort of stuff. You know that was what yeah. I got told. And um, yeah, claim your life insurance, spend your life insurance, and you know six years later be on the pension. I tried to go back to work and went back. Um, early in the year, but I got too unwell. I was, my body just got crook and oh, I had a real good cafe next door that did the potato gems and gravy on me. And I just, uh, I just, yeah, got to me. I just, I loved being back at work, you know, like I was, yeah. I was, I had about 25 people underneath me and I just love being back at work after five years. You know, I was like, I, f- I felt worthless. You, you sort of feel worthless in society because people go, oh, what have you been up to? You know, you're at home, you're doing nothing. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. fuck, man, I look after myself every day to just, you know, try and stay fit and healthy and, and well and stuff. So yeah, it's, uh, 
Mm, an interesting one. Love being back at work, but it was good. It's a drain, though, isn't it? Well, I mean, even even when you're well, works just energy sapping for for most of the time. You know, not all the time, but it's not like you get energized physically after an eight-hour day. Maybe there are people out there that do. I don't know. Not me. That's working for someone else. I'm just I'm shit at working for other people. <laughs> just shit at it. Fair enough. I've said I've said to my mum and dad a few times, I'm unemployable. <laughs> just gotta work for myself. Work for an idiot, work for myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's I don't know, I just go into my shell and if you're working for someone else, it's just yes sir, no sir, and you know, like it's pretty bland i suppose mm. i've done it a few times since i moved here i've had a couple of couple of stints working for other people here and then one i hated every moment of and was just doing it for the dollars to pay the bills and then another one was when the lockdown first hit i got a gig um doing web development which is something i've done on the side for a long time yeah i've got a i got a bachelor of computing in the 90s so it's a skill set that sits there. It's kind of like being a sparky and being able to go back to being, you know, an electrician mm. or someone. Yeah. Mm. So I just lucked on this job and it was great. I really enjoyed it. It was all, you know, based in Canberra. So everything was remote. I was literally, this is where I was working, like where I am now. This is what I set this up for. And they were like, we love you. Uh, we want you to be on the leadership team. We want you to take over the marketing role here. You know, you've got good ideas, so there's more that you can do than web development. We want you to consider buying into the business to have a share of the business. Okay, that all sounds good. Like, let's talk about that when we get to the end of the project that I'm right working for you at the moment. And then in a two-week period, they went, there's no room for you. Um, there's no work left. Web development's dried up. And I'm like, yeah, well, we talked about that. That's not where my role's moving to in this business. And they're like, oh, that doesn't exist either anymore. Oh, okay. Ah, oh, right. So all of those values that you told me about when I first started up and all of the stuff that's in your business plan and your cultural documents that you're telling me about this business isn't actually really true. All that you exist for is to make money for your investors. I'm like, okay, that's a good lesson. Like that's a that's another good lesson. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hold on to this for too long. But I was I was pretty pissed at that. Like if you had to just because they treated me like a contractor at the end when they'd never treated me like a contractor the whole way through the six-ish month I worked for them. Isn't that shit though? Like, is and is is that going to be part of the way that we need to move forward on? Like, just there's no need to be ruthless, cut and shut. Like, because and I used to be that way. Like, I I was just you know like I was stone cold, motionless, you know ruthless at that sort of stuff but it's not the way and it no it's it only, not uh, you know like we, you know is that something that might be a possible outcome of this covid shit because we have to respect not just the the people who need jobs but the mm -hmm. people who are running businesses their own businesses all of that sort of stuff because we all that's all open now is woolies and coals and Bunnings. You know? Yeah, oh, and Bunnings. It's an essential service. 
I, I'm sorry, no, the alcohol shop is in the essential service too, isn't it? Oh, have you? Have, uh, the local Dan Murphy's, whenever they announce a lockdown, just goes into chaos, absolute you know what? chaos. You can't get into the car park. I like Basically what happens is people stock up on booze and toilet paper. Now, I don't know why those two things necessarily go together. You'd think it'd be booze and potato chips or something. I couldn't believe it the other day when the lockdown lockdown happened. So I'm like oblivious, right? I don't have it on my social media news and mm. nothing. I'm cruising into town to get some groceries for Rach, you know, for cook up dinner. Sorry, if you know. That's all right. And um, fine. And I turn Grab out, a tissue if you need to, mate. It's all oh, good. Sh- oh shit! Tawanton's busy, you know. Like, what's going on in here? Tawanton's never busy. It, it is now. It's not pension day, yeah. So. Roll around into the local car park underneath the Woolies and stuff. Fuck. There's like people, it's, it's you know, Armageddon. people everywhere, you know, in supermarket car parks. I mean, holy smokes. I reckon Aldi, um, all the panel beaters pay Aldi to, because the Aldi car park is chaos. But um, yeah, it turned up. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I, was, uh, I, I digress. Turn up. It's all right. And the whole point. Walk up the stairs. Sure enough, there's this queue outside the door. I was like, ah, "What's going on?" And then I hear the mumbles of lockdown and all this sort of uh, stuff. And everybody's like hawkeyeing me because I don't walk anywhere with a mask. You know, like that's I have I have an exemption, and if people want to press me, um, I'll be kind about it like i walk around and i smile like so that when people look at me at least they can see a smile and it's not the oh that motherfucker's not wearing a mask you know it's like i just smile i have tumors in my lungs if you really want to you know like come and confront me angrily about it oh yeah let's have a chat we can chat about it you know but other than that i walk around with a smile on the face but this i was like the snap lockdown and everyone's looking at me and we're lined up way out the door i was like oh this is a setup this isn't cool you know yeah ah pain in the ass hilarious uh hilarious until the reality of it yeah but no i'm lucky just people in general <laughs> the response. The re- it's not even about the lockdown. It's just that the lockdown's the thing that's bringing everything to the surface. The pandemic. It's bringing it. When it first hit, right? The, when the first lockdown, where we all went, "Fuck, what are we doing?" You know, it, is it three months? You know, how long are we here? Are we allowed to actually go anywhere near? Like, are we all going to? If we touch each other, are we going to die? <laughs> I was like, this is going to be really interesting from a, like a social experiment point of view. And some really cool stuff started to kick off online. There were um, like a DJs doing sets from their living room for free for people. There were uh, musicians from different bands linking up and playing songs together and then mixing them and putting them out, you know, like, some amazing stuff happened. Now I know that it wasn't great for everyone, but like, I was like, I think some people are working some stuff out here. This might go really well. <laughs> meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, people are shitting themselves and buying all of the toilet paper. <laughs> it's it, over oh, humanity. 
That would have to be one of the funniest. It's probably a highlight of COVID, really. And it's probably yeah. the thing that underlines it the most, you know, just the patheticness, I suppose, of this whole thing is everyone you... going and hoarding fucking toilet paper. I don't get, I just don't get the toilet paper thing. It's not like you get explosive diarrhea if you have COVID. That's the one it's that not like me. you can't wipe your ass with a flannel or something called just go and have a shower. You know, it's like, have we become like that? <laughs> but actually, it's funny to note this because I'm lying down just before your message and I do coffee enemas daily, right? So I actually do go through a bit of toilet paper, funnily enough. Um, but I had the, the toilet, um, the the massive stack right next to me and on the back of it. I, I mean, how often do you actually read a toilet paper, you know, packaging labeling? It's not on my reading list. There's a three-step plan for special soothing, like take, you know, three to four patches of what's his name, pad your body, take the next lot of wet towels and wipe the bottom and then pad dry. I was like, what the, who puts the, has anyone else ever read this on the toilet paper label? There's before? actually instructions on how to use toilet paper. But like a three-step process wow. for a, an exclusive one with the wet towel, you've got to have, obviously you've got to bring in some other artillery as well, but. That's an involved right. process. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, learn something new every day, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Random piece of information. I can remember. Yeah. We can keep with the toilet humor. I can remember watching a comic once, and he was he was talking about those wet wipes that came out. You know, like anyone who's a parent knows how, that they exist, and you can use them for kids, right? When you when you're doing the whole nappy cleanup, but they came, they came out. They're out for adults now, right? So they're on the shelf near the toilet paper. And this comic was talking about. He's like, I never knew it was never cleaned before. <laughs> like I thought I was doing a good job. And then, and then I've followed up the white with the wet ones and I've worked out that I've never been doing a good job. <laughs> oh, uh, who decided if, that it was necessary? <laughs> was it his wife? Someone's wife's just gone, <laughs> mate, um, we have to have a talk. I've been doing the laundry lately and there's a bit of, there's a bit of a problem. I think... I think we uh, we you, you either need to engineer something new, or we need an intervention because it's critical. <laughs> going, hang on, hang on. When when the kids need it, and we clean them, it's moist. Why don't we do that for adults? Oh dear. Uh, oh, toilet, toilet. I I love it. It's fantastic, and I'm probably. Yeah, have have a few experiences over the past um, six years. I've shat myself more times in the last six years than I did in the first six years. Honestly, it's one of those one of those processes because the shit that comes through my body, like whether I'm detoxing or eating the wrong stuff, or like when I was on my first trial drug, um, I actually my stomach got so bad it had a hole in it because of what the drug oh, was doing. 
it, yeah, they picked it up on a CT and actually had to pull me off the trial for it. <laughs> so, so I was crook. Possibly and I, side effects, a uh, hole in stomach. Yeah, so I, but it got that bad and all I cared, because of, I told you my perspective, what I got shown to start with, all I cared about was time. So when we were going up the Cape, traveling to the Cape, because I did it while my stomach was that bad, I was on the cannabis and all sorts of stuff to eat, but also to numb the pain as well. Mm. And um, I had to take shit nearly, you know, between every hour and two hours, wherever we went, you know, and there's corrugated rows if you've ever been to the Cape, you know, like, no, I, you know. Talk- I haven't been on them, but I do know what you're talking about. That, 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 Oh, funny, man. I've had some good experiences and, mm, and that'd uh, just rock shit around, wouldn't it? Literally. Yeah. And it was just, so I just, I had diarrhea for like 18 months, you know, and, oh. and I was doing bucket list stuff, man. I've, I've, I went to Malaysia. I nearly fainted coming up the hill to the Formula One because I wanted to see Formula One. That was the cheapest place to go. Went to Malaysia and um, nearly fainted falling up the hill coming up from the go-karts and um, just shat myself, but I was right near the medical tent, so I was able to fix that one up for for a time. And then just, just waving at the medical staff. Well, they had air conditioning and free water. And as soon as I told him I had cancer, it was awesome. I was the only one allowed in. And my brothers, because we went with a a boys group, there was um, two uncles, two cousins, two brothers and a dad. And we went there and everyone used to take turns at coming in with me because I was allowed to bring someone into this medical tent. It was like stinking hot in Malaysia. It is Malaysia. Yep. Yeah. There was... um, yeah, so that was that was a unique experience. And then the other one was when we went, <laughs> I was on the trial drug and we went, um, my brother was like, righto, um, we're going to put off the pool. Um, let's go get you us a boat so we can go fishing and do have, a, you know, fun adventures. Here's us, you know, the only boat we could find, we wanted a particular type of boat, a New Zealand boat, Stabycraft. 25 grand cheaper in Darwin. So we did a mission, flew into Darwin at midnight, um, Saturday night into the middle of Darwin and it's pumping, you know, like craziness, like a crazy journey in there. Um, Got up at 7.30 in the morning, bought the boat. My brother's a mechanic. He was doing three of the four wheel hubs, um, putting, trying to get the fourth one on. It's the hot uh, Frenchie, the guy we bought it off. He goes, you turned up in the hottest day of the year. And I'm crook. And I go, where's your toilet? And he points to this tin shed. And we're out. It's like full sun exposure. And I'm in there. And it's just like I'm dripping from wet Sweat by box. head to toe. And I reckon there's more fluid coming off my body than out my bum at the, at the time. And that, that is the hottest shit I've ever taken in my life, that one. That was, I, I, I like, it just takes me straight back there. It's one of those unpleasant moments where you're like, why did I put myself through this? Like, why am I here right now going through this? Because it just feels like we, we left like two hours later and then drove for 46, 44 hours straight, 44 and a quarter hours i think we we did it back in an 80 series land cruiser that did 90 
90 kilometers tops, 450 Ks out of um, two fuel tanks. It was, um, yeah, no, that was a mission. But things to do, fun missions for fun, for uh, the cancer excuse. Well, I don't know. It's not an excuse, is it? Oh, I've played accurate. the card. Yeah, we play the card all the time. Yeah, it has its drawbacks sometimes, but for the most part, it works. It has its drawbacks, he says. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> we got on a bit of a hot streak um, on the airplanes. Oh, so, yeah. you know, I used to go when we were checking in, we always used to go to the counter and check in and say, oh, look, is there any possible way I have terminal cancer? Could you put me near a toilet? And, you know, we'd, we'd been upgraded quite a few times, you know, it was uh-huh. one of those things. And, and people might go, oh, that's a bit of a, you know, rude thing to do, but fuck, having cancer shit, you know, it's got many side effects. So you, you know, make, you make the perks of it. To a toilet. Yeah. Yeah. And that too. But yeah. by that time I'd, Sort of got it sorted. It sussed it. And then we're at the Brisbane airport and it's like 6.30 in the morning. We're checking in to go to New Zealand and we tried it. And the lady behind the can- counter just started bawling. Like she just, she'd lost her son to, to cancer. And yeah. we had like this half an hour. She like just put the sign up. We, we we just cuddled and chatted and did all the stuff for like half an hour um, and shared stories and stuff around it. Still got um, upgraded, but, you know, it was you know, one of those things and um, it was meant to be how it was meant to be. But it wasn't really a drawback as per se, but, you know, it was one of those things where you didn't expect to. I've been upgraded once. Once on a flight from London to Rome with Erica before we were married and my sister. And the whole flight, I thought some, I felt like someone was stabbing me in the ear with a ice pick, just a sinus thing. Right. So it's about a three hour flight. I was going to say, how long's the flight? Three hours? Yeah, it's all right. I think it's about three hours. I'm like, oh, the irony, right? We've, (laughs) for some reason, the lady on the desk went, it's okay. Business class for you three. And we, we didn't try anything on. We're just kismet. We must have smiled properly or they, she liked an Australian accent. Fucked if I know why. So it's metal cutlery, not, not plastic, real glasses, proper champagne. It's all included. And I'm there dying. My head feels like it's going to explode. Just trying to sip on champagne and enjoy it. Five minutes before the plane starts to descend, one of the uh, cabin crew comes over with like a Vicks nasal thing and says, oh, this has always worked for me. So, and it goes away and I'm like, where the fuck where have the you fuck? been? <laughs> I've been in agony for like two thirds to three quarters of this flight and I've actually talked to you about it. Like, where was your head the whole time? And it's like, oh, no, no, keep it. <laughs> thanks, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Meanwhile, my, my wife-to-be and my sister are quite happy given the amount of bubbly that they've had. And I'm like, Oh, just get me somewhere else. It's so funny. It's funny what happens. You're like, yes, we've been upgraded. Finally, not a good experience. Well, we got, my parents, look, they were always gypsies. And I, um, 
when I was 15, I moved in with another, my best friend's family, South African family in New Zealand, and they moved mm-hmm. back to Aussie. And um, it was school holidays, and we were, I was flying over with my friend. Um, we were 16 to spend school holidays in Aussie, in mm-hmm. Brisbane. My parents had a, they were staying on the river in Brisbane at South Bank. So we actually, we were, we'd been drinking by, for a couple of years by then. So we actually went in and partied and we got into the valley and all sorts of stuff because well, I'm 6'2 and he was about the same height, but the biggest, we're big boys, you know, mm-hmm. um, but still 60, we were young. No idea or anything like that. I and, uh, when was this? What, what year? Oh, she's 2005. Oh, yeah. No, two thousand one or two or something. Yeah, early yeah. 2000s. Yep. And um, yeah, so we went, we partied, you know, all of that sort of stuff, and we we're catching the flight home. And we're sixteen. We're checking in, and I'm pretty sure it was Emirates. It was a Qantas coach here. It was Emirates. We're checking in Emirates, and we got upgraded to business class. On it's sixteen year olds, and we got we were getting served champagne before takeoff and all sorts of shit like you do you know like when you yeah, finally yeah. experience it and we're like what's going on here <laughs> what's going not, on here i'm not telling anyone i'm gonna milk this until they ask for my id we could not believe it could not believe it you have some good that was a, that was a really good experience on the plane way trip that when. one oh. way back when we we didn't have a, another one yeah we went back five years later for his 21st, but yeah. going the other way. And we went back, stayed the weekend and came, came home. We're mm-hmm. flying out Sunday morning, went out clubbing on Saturday night um, and stay up. That was back when party pills were, um, you know, the energy ones, not the, not like ecstasy and, and, you know, all the MDMA and all the other party pills, but yeah. like the, the energy ones, you know how, but they were, they had the worst come down hangovers. Did you guys not have speed, them in here? Speed, but not speed. Pretty, pretty much, pretty much. They got banned yeah. over there. Cause it was like, you, you smash a couple and they were like extreme no doses sort of thing. Ah, right. But they were, they were actually called party pills and, um, <laughs> <clears throat> we went out speed's illegal but it's okay to have those party pills yeah well they were, it was funny how they didn't win big here in aussie but we went back had those because you could buy them over the counter you know like oh, right. sort of thing Bit of a and um yeah went drinking and and had that come home the next morning flying out at five out of hamilton Ooh. and his parents we we got back quite early from town like two o'clock or something you know, you know, that was pretty decent for a 21-year-old on his 21st, yeah. you know. We were lying there in bed, still in our number ones, bright-eyed, like couldn't sleep. Time comes, leave for the airport, get to the airport. My mate's just, he, he's not well. He's, he's just not. He vomited like three times in line for the, like to, to get through the, what's his name? He got a warning that if we didn't sharpen up, then um, we wouldn't be making the flight. The lady at the counter who checked us in must have done something because it, like, his parents were there and like, 
they were getting pretty upset because, uh, you know, you guys better not miss this fight, rah, rah, rah. I'm not a vomiter, so I, I was, I'm, I'm good, but I'm feeling not very well. Get onto the plane, and it's chockers. Like, the plane is absolutely chockers. Not a spare seat to be seen. Walk down. Here's the, we're down near the middle of the plane. I can't, I don't think they were emergency seats. I'm not sure if they were or not. But here's three seats either side of the plane for me and the mate. As soon as we got into the air, we already had the blankets there. They came down and gave us blankets and everything. As soon as he was in the air, he was asleep, curled over, you know, with using the three seats. I tried to do the same, but all I, I was like, it was like I was on speed the whole flight, hung over, mm. and it was it was excruciating all the way through. I get <laughs> we start to descent, and he wakes up. And he goes, oh, shit, we're already there, man. I was like, oh, are you serious? You slept the whole plane flight home? Oh, that, that was the worst plane flight I've ever had in my life. Yeah. And it was only like three and a half hours just come down, crook as, hungover, you know. There must be some stories about plane flights out there. Oh, I can remember was... sitting, down with a, sitting down with a guy who'd gone to, I think he'd gone through Amsterdam and he gets... Um, gets onto the plane and I don't remember who he's flying through. I feel like he was flying through Bali or he's flying through Abu Dhabi or someplace that's got a fairly low tolerance of any drugs, right? And he puts his hand in his pocket or his bag and he finds he's got an LSD tab and he's like, well, what do you do? So he just <laughs> put it under his tongue what do you do? and took the big flight off his <laughs> nut on acid. And I'm like, I can't. I can't imagine tripping on acid in a flying metal tube. That has potential to be the worst possible place you could take acid. I, yeah, I've more more than it being the best, I reckon. It's going to go one of two ways. It's going to be mm. berserk and just like really out of this world or it's going to go horribly wrong. And there's no, it's not like you can – where's the chill-out tent? You know, like you – you're in for the ride, buddy. <laughs> That's what I mean. If it if if oh. if it's a bit of a crazy trip and you're and you know and you're a bit energized or something like that, it's just so ballsy or stupid or both. I don't know. He got away with it. Like he he was like, yeah, it was, it was, all, it was all right. Like, fuck, he did what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that would be uh, that would be interesting. Oh, good God. But yeah, that being on the plane. I can remember when I, this this would have been early two thousands. This is a hilarious plane flight. So I used to do uh, like a southern Chinese kung fu back in before I discovered jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu. Can I ask the name? Um, it was there was a guy in South Brisbane that started it. Uh, it was called Lin Wan Sam Sao, I think, and I don't know if it still exists. But so it's one of the students. He changed it kind of i think they had a bit of a falling out i try and stay out of it because martial arts schools can be funny really, how that happens really, really yeah yeah like that mm. and he called it something hoxie hoxie tong long so it was like snake crane praying mantis or something but it was not as flowery as it sounds like to give it its due it was a pretty sensible martial art 
like it wasn't a flowery kind of wushu kung fu thing. Anyway, he's uh, got another teacher from a different school that he's training with because he's you know taking stuff from everywhere. That my instructor, and this guy is from the Beijing Opera, and he's one of Jet Li's best friends. Right, like studied with Jet Li, and just. Uh, all reports are when they went through the school, they're just as good as each other. And he just didn't want to do the Hollywood thing. So they organize a trip to China and this, this mate of Jet Li's, this master organizes it all. So we go to like Chen village, one of the old Tai Chi villages and watch a demonstration. It's fucking amazing. This trip, right? We go Sounds to, it. Uh, yeah, we Shaolin temple. We went, we went everywhere. It was, it, and he organized it all. I shat myself on a train while we were in China on that trip. <laughs> so just to come full circle back to what we were talking about. Um, but the flight over um, to keep the, to keep the um, price down, it was like on China air or South China air or something. It was probably not the safest airline to fly on. <laughs> I mean, we didn't crash. So it was all right, but it was pretty much we were the only non-Chinese people on the flight and even the hostesses couldn't speak English. So it was, and, and I'd studied a bit of Mandarin. So I was like, they loved me because I was trying, you know, I was like, my name's Adam. How, what's your name? Where are you? You know, like just enough, just enough. And that, so they're trying to speak English and I'm trying to speak Mandarin. So that opens up possibilities, which is like, what would you like to drink, sir? So we drank them out of, you know, like, we're like, what beer do you have? Because you didn't have to pay for anything. All the beer was included. I don't know how this happens, right? But <laughs> didn't have to, didn't have to pay for drinks. Instantly so, tastes better. Yeah, it's Instantly going. Instantly tastes good. You can tell yeah. the way this floats. I don't know, like an eight, 10 hour flight. You can tell which way it's going, right? Because we flew into Shanghai. <laughs> we flew into Shanghai. So we're like, what do you got? And they give us a list. And so we, we go through, we, we go through all of their Heineken. Gone. And then whatever the next, you know, like um, non-Chinese beer is, we go through that as well. And then we end up on Tsingtao or some Chinese one because it's all that's left because we've just been knocking these beers. But I don't know how, I, I couldn't do it now. I'd fall over. <laughs> like, clearly not used to. Aussies flying on this service who drink. We drank all their beer, uh, you know, like all of their foreign export stuff and some of their Chinese labeled stuff. Oh, and no one had to sit in seats. We were just walking around like we owned the place. I like, it wouldn't have surprised me if some dude had started up a card game at the back and they all had just started smoking. It was kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. It the loosest flight I've ever been on. So, and it was like, all credit to them. It was a, it was a calm flight. Nothing happened. Like, it wasn't like oh, the wheels have fallen off and we're just going to land on our belly. Or, and the yeah. plane was the plane was well kept. It wasn't an old plane or anything like that. But man, I can't remember the flight back, but I can remember the flight there. It's hilarious. <laughs> it was such good fun. It's interesting on the planes. <clears throat> Most of the planes that are flying around are quite old. Hey, I think so. Mm. You'd be surprised how old the planes are, like the old, like say a seven three seven seven, like three hundred is, you know, like yeah, I, I mean, four hundred. My my 
worst experiences on plane have always been with British Airways. Like always, I, I refuse to fly with them. It's so much so that if I get a Qantas flight anywhere now, I ask if they if they're code sharing because I got caught a couple of times. I once was sitting down on a table. I got in there and the video monitor when they used to have video monitors was just hanging out like by a cable. So I pushed it back in and I get my food and my drink and I'm sitting there and do 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 and I've got a glass of wine and the screen falls off red wine into my lap. I'm like, oh, this is, yeah, this is good because how, I can't exactly wash the red wine out of my pants. And um, their response to that when I wrote a written complaint about it was to give me a $100 voucher to use with British Airways who don't fly in Australia. They only fly from Australia to England, right? And it was for like six-month validity to be used only. And I'm like, how does this even help me? Like, just tell me to fuck off. Like, don't, don't, <laughs> don't give me something I can't use. But like, mm. send me a hundred dollars to clean my pants <laughs> or buy new pants, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. So another time I'm on a British Airways flight and clearly British Airways are never going to sponsor my podcast or anything. Like that. <laughs> and I had a terrible flight where all of the staff were just rude. It was like being in London trying to order something at a coffee shop and the person behind the counter not being there. I don't know if you've ever been to London when someone doesn't want to serve you, but it's an interesting experience. And, you know, a few times I'd had a, w- a couple of words with the, the crew, like, you know, it's been 20 minutes, I've asked for a cup of tea or whatever it was, or, you know, whatever it might be. I'm not that hard to get along with, but it, it obviously rubbed me the wrong way. And the head of the cabin crew says, here's a survey to fill out. So I fill it out and I'm honest. Like, this is the worst experience. Ever. She comes over and yells at me in front of everyone. And I'm like, well, what do I do here? Because this was right in the middle of when aviation was like, we've got a zero tolerance policy for anyone who gets aggressive on the plane. Like you will be arrested when we land. So I'm looking at her going, well, okay, I can't respond in any way to her at the moment because if I tell her to go fuck herself or politely tell her to go away and after being berated, it probably wouldn't have been polite enough. There's every chance, like I'm not making my connecting flight because I'm going to get pulled in for questioning because they can do that. They've only got to point at someone and you're done. But the police have to do their due diligence and check it all out. Mm. Like, why did you ask for feedback? feedback? If you if you know that I've had a bad experience, what do you want me to tell you? It was good. And then to berate someone for the honest feedback, we'd like you to give us honest feedback, <laughs> but, <laughs> but not that honest. So, yeah, it's, it's just unexpected from a multinational like that. Who? <clears throat> you, you know what cracks me up about that? That's, you know, Australia's version. I'm going to give you that. Australian version of it is well, the straight feedback, from the Kiwi. Yeah, yeah, from from the from the Kiwi. Give you the Oscar version. Right, yeah. When they ask you for feedback from a Telstra shop, oh, <laughs> you you know you know what I find? It's the phone that I've got now. I actually got from free from Telstra, and funnily enough, it was through a fuck up of theirs. So I just 
left it quiet. And this is an iPhone 11 Pro Max, and we don't have any money. So, you know, I've just kept quiet about it. And it we use the credit and that sort of thing because mm-hmm. they double credited me back because of their two fuck ups. But every Australian has a story about Telstra and their and oh, their. Do we what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so the funniest thing, and it's really ironic for me, is this process of going through the the shops to to get this phone. Um, is that the staff there is I generally get a young chick or a you know there's quite often I've had a, a young female serve me or. Um, but the staff are actually excellent at their jobs and really pleasant to deal with, but the system is completely, utterly fucked. (laughs) And I've got to go through and navigate it all. And, you know, like all credit to the staff that go in there and do their job. Doing their best. (laughs) They do their best. But, oh my goodness, man. And and you're like, and and they ask for good... At the end of it, you know, they asked for good customer service feedback and their customer service was excellent, but the product and the whole system is just a fucking shit show. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's Australian's version of the feedback Always that they been. want. I could tell you, <laughs> but, you know, let me tell you horror stories about Telstra. Like I, when I was working in IT, I was working within Telstra projects. And they would spend millions and millions of dollars on these projects and then upper management would change and they'd scrap everything. And then they'd start another project that almost did the same thing and then scrap that. And they were just like playing funny money going around the place and nothing was getting fixed. And this is late 90s, early 2000s when they're working out, you know, we've got a Y2K problem potentially. Uh, all of this infrastructure's not going to work soon. Like, what do we do with it? But they just kept ping-ponging. It was amazing to watch. I ended up having to get out of it because I, I did bunch work on projects that you're like, okay, I'm contributing here. This is going to actually help Australia's telecommunications system. Bugger the industry, but it's going to help the system. Like, well, it'll not fall over. Everyone to get redistributed to something else. And then a few years later, I came back around and worked in a call center just before I went to London to live. I did like six months in a call center that was contracted to Telstra. And this is how crazy it is and how they work their metrics and things like that. I had a guy that had a, because I knew IT, I worked out how to get into all the backend systems to try and work stuff out. And this is when it was called mobile net, right? So sometimes trying to get people's services connected and make sure they were paying the right bills and all this kind of stuff was not as easy as you, as you would expect. And you'd have to go into multiple systems and, take this and and so i spent about 45 minutes on this phone call mind you all of my metrics on my performance and whether i get to continue there is based on how many people i talk to and how quickly i get off calls that have a positive resolution and all this kind of stuff and i'm like it's all right i'm going to stay on this call and i'm going to fix this thing for this person and i did and and he was like thank you no one else that i've talked to over the last and it was like months has been able to do it and i'm like bang done happy customer I get my review and my supervisor had been listening in on that call and I got failed on it because even after that entire 45 minutes, I didn't say thank you for calling Telstra at the end. Yeah. 
and I was, I, I was pardon. No, that's a that's an automatic fail, like zero mark, because you didn't say that in. I'm like, I think the dude knew he was calling Telstra. It's pretty obvious. Nope. So they're the kind of things that happen in organizations like that. They put waiting on certain things and then the staff's hands are tied. But my supervisor couldn't change what she had to assess me by. Yeah. Uh, so not her fault. Uh, much like the people you're talking to as a consumer going into the store, they're doing the best they can do and they want to help you, but you're still not satisfied. You're like, yeah, they're doing a good job. My phone's still not working or whatever it might've been. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Like I can, I can remember moving house and being told that I had to put a certain phone line connection in to be able to get whatever ADSL two, and then putting that in and it costing me $300 and then, Oh, now that you've got that in, you can't get these SERPs. But you told me that's what I needed. No, oh, well, bad luck. Oh, could I have my $300 back, please? No, no, no. We, you, that's paid for the contractor who came out to, wow. You know, just, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Oh, that, that one is negative. I'm not trying to be negative at all. It's just um, interesting experiences with complex organizations. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting when you see some insight into those big ones. It oh, makes crazy. you it crazy. makes you just wanna, you know, yeah. We need to break them down and split them out into more medium sized smaller medium sized business. We just need to stop this monopolies. Where's farmers well, tell, and tell fucking us Woolworths. interesting because when they got privatized, it was there's two sides of the business. There's retail and wholesale. So they still own all of the exchanges and so to get a port in if you're with like aussie broadband or mate or you know one of the sort of maybe second tier it's probably the wrong way to describe them but mm. they actually buy the service off telstra mm. and now they buy it off nbn co right so which i don't know telstra's probably got the hand in that somewhere it would be surprising oh it's crazy because we i mean we're we're quite tied in with the the emf network and and um, 5G and that sort of thing. Yeah. And, you know, like, there's, I'm in between two towers here, 500 meters both ways, right? Mm-hmm. One's the NBN tower because they won't run um, the cable out here. All so right. they'll put a, put a tower up. So you're trying um, to get it sort of a wireless NBN. Wireless. Tower. Yep. All oh, right. Um, but that hasn't been activated yet. And then there's a 5G tower the other way, mm-hmm. which is a Telstra private tower. Right. So that's just on a private block um, and they pay people to put the tower on, yep. to have on their land. Like a rental agreement or something. Just like a rental. They Yeah, they get paid for it. And it's like, yeah, fuck. <laughs> we start to learn some of the health shit on that. But it's interesting how, you know, they pay rent there, but then they'll be making tenfold back on having giving access to, you know, Optus and all the, mm-hmm. you know, like you say, second tiers and all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, it is really interesting the way it all hangs together. And seeing it from the inside, I mean, years ago, like the actual physical network hubs, like in the 
centre, like Exhibition Street in, in Melbourne. There's a, like a whole multi-storey building that's just exchange. Like wires going in and out. And it's just no windows on that. Like you know what it is when you drive past it. Mm. Wow, that's a lot of in and out. You know, like well, I, fire goes through that, the whole place is done. It's, yeah, well, it, it's a bit like the those data banks, isn't it? Those. I don't know enough mm. about it. Educated in it, but not up to date. Yeah, me either. If I tried it now, it just that's not brain. not my area's specialty. Sports and motorsports. <laughs> you were Good talking tasting earlier, food. You were talking earlier about. Uh, I'm going to change tack completely now. Um, when you had the hole in your gut. Yeah. And and you said you were um were you cannabis oil or edibles or what were you, what were you doing? Oh, well cannabis saved my life all the way through, but um well, there's a good conversation. Yeah. Uh, we need to get so Dan Andrews on the call. <laughs> you heard he's just he's just shut down the whole legalization of marijuana in Victoria discussion. Has he? Not nothing happened. Yeah, yeah. Just how how it can be recognised as medicine within the country, and then it not anyway. It's oh, yeah. there's a we've got hours to talk on that one. Oh yeah, but. and we will. Maybe we'll do another chat about it because I mean I want to hear your story, but just quickly, like my my experience, um, my uncle uh, had a diving accident when he was twenty, and became a quadriplegic, and had massive nervous system. Um, trouble the whole of his life and he used to smoke before he had an accident but his his specialist basically said to him you can take these drugs and they have massive side effects or you can just keep smoking so you know he smoked for enjoyment and medicinal purposes for his whole life he passed away a few years ago but i like any i can walk down the street now and as soon as i smell that i remember his house because i didn't know what it was when i was a kid you know like, yeah i'm just you know they Walk in, they're doing it. Well, not him because his arms didn't work that well, but you know, his mates doing this. Yeah. Waving the arms around for those who are listening. Um, and yeah, like I just, the first thing I saw about this plant was that it had a medicinal quality to it. And clearly it had a high, right? Like it's not, it's not, it's not beat around the bush. What's your story anyway? So I hijacked it. No, no, it's, uh, it's it's an interesting topic, big one. Uh, highly recommend everyone to go and watch The Magic Plant. Um, Pete Evans did a doco on it, uh, mm-hmm. on Evolve Network, something um, that, yeah, really good and informative on the different ways and usages of it, how it's grown and all that. Very mm-hmm. good doco for it. Reference point. Um, for me, I would say, yeah, it's been a lifesaver throughout for me. Um, when I was on the trial drug, uh, actually, sorry, when I had brain surgery, I went back to get um, clearance to drive. And so to do that, I had to go to a neurologist, special neurologist person. And we're up there and just for reference sake, been working in the mines for a long time. Obviously, you can't really. You can drug test it all the time. Um, wife Rachel, absolutely against cannabis. Um, you know, just, you know, have, has that stigma ingrained, indoctrinated into, like, 
like most other people. So I'm doing my test, come up good, everything's sweet. I passed my test and um, the guy, the doctor's going, okay, you know, you have a chance of having seizures, which I've had, but he goes, you know, but you need to manage your fatigue, drink plenty of water um, and, and, you know, like don't drink any alcohol. And, you know, I sort of drank my whole life, not consistently, but always binge sort of thing. And, um, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, no worries. It's not the biggest thing to give up for me, um, mm-hmm. alcohol. And then wifey goes, what about uh, marijuana? And he come back with, well, I think there needs to be more studies done on it. Um, and this is like a straight old school like 65 70 year old neurologist Mm -hmm. and he goes but absolutely um cannot do any harm there's no nothing wrong with being in that state and there's been some really good findings from it from so for me from there it was what allowed me to try the cannabis when um i started on that trial drug the toxic one that led Mm -hmm. to a hole in my stomach so not only was it soothing my um, my tummy troubles, it was giving me hunger because I would obviously when you got tummy troubles, you're not you're not hungry. Um, no. And I dropped from officially I started the trial at 132 kilos, and I dropped officially I finished it around the 70, but I got to 65 kilos. So wow. Um, and at my head. At my heaviest, I was 146 kilos. Like, it was big, big lad once upon a time. So, for me not to be hungry, something's, something's not right. Something's amiss. And, uh, yeah, so, like, um, I, I had, like, a little vaporizer, and I just – that that's the healthiest way to, to inhale it. And um, I'd just have that, and that would soothe it, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Um, Meanwhile, you're and, tripping balls. No, I always, I like, I as a teenager, you, you know, I enjoyed pot so uh, recreationally. So yeah, no, I was, I, I loved it, and um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of it, mm-hmm. both recreationally and and what's the name, um, medicinally. But I also then went and tried the Rick Simpson oil, which is like pure oil THC stuff. Um, and that's like, yeah, that, that stuff puts you to sleep, you know, cause, and then, and then some, but it's, it also can cure certain types of cancer. So wow, it was a protocol that we trialed mm-hmm. um, and yeah, really good for your body anyway. So I'm assuming um, that would have been pretty pricey to go down that path. Um, yeah. All black market. Cause at that time it's so, the medicinal marijuana had been legal for two years in Australia. Mm. And um, I was like, I've been on that register, but at that point in time, there was only 1100 people on that register after two years. I can remember shopping in the Queen Vic market and they had hemp seeds in a, um, like a health stall or something like that. And they had to put a sign on it that said, you know, like not for human consumption. You can make um, like, I don't know, 
scrubs out of it or some crazy shit. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. <laughs> Radio. Yeah, no. It's like un- unpasteurized milk, only for um, bathing, bathing in. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's it, it's just re- it's just so so strange. I find it so strange, right? Yeah, it's not common you sense. Can, the opposite you can, of it. You can go and get a prescription for oxy, and we all know what oxy does. Mm. Right. But you can't get a prescription for something that just naturally grows. I have the same opinion of you. <laughs> you cannot, of your own free volition, go walking in the bush and pick a couple of mushrooms and chew on them. Really? I can't do that. Why not? Because it changes the way the chemicals in my brain work and I might enjoy myself. Like, what's, what's the issue? Because we know it's not, none of these are gateway drugs. For some people, they will seek an experience and go and look for a substance. And maybe their first experience is cannabis. I don't, you know, but, but it doesn't, it's not causative. There might be a correlation. So I always find this whole thing really, and I've tried a bunch of stuff. I don't do anything at the moment. Like I had a toke on a joint six months ago. That's it. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm typical or atypical. I don't know, but I don't know anyone who had that kind of a habit that it went into anything else because they had started that. I know people that have sat on it for too long and it's become detrimental, you know, for them. But you can say that of smoking, of drinking, of coffee, probably, of donuts, you know, like it's not the substance necessarily. It's the relationship to it. It's, I find it fascinating. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. And I look at it from the point of view where the result of being on plant medicine, whatever the mm-hmm. plant medicine is, cause I'm a yeah. big fan of it. Um, is that the resulting outcome of it is that you don't really want to sit back into the rat race afterwards. You have, you, you, you have less desire to come back in and work into the structure of the social scene, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah dropping truth. I mean, tri- go, go on a big mushroom trip, like a heavy mushroom trip. I've and only ever microdosed, so I've only ever, like, I've never actually journeyed. It's a, I mean, it's it, that's an experience. I can't wait. Um, yeah. Well, I can, I can remember doing it at a, at a, um, a music festival in, in, uh, in Victoria. There's a the old Rainbow Serpent Festival. I don't even know if that'll ever come back. But, um. And not, this is not a heroic dose. This is just a nice, gentle dose. And walked up, they've got a little hill, little ridge that you can walk up. And we just sat perched on top of it. And we all just start smiling at each other because it all just starts to hit the system. And we're looking out at this tableau and it's fucking beautiful. But it starts to look like it's been painted by, you know, like a Renaissance artist or a impressionist or, you know, like it's going, doesn't look like it normally looks. It starts to look better. <laughs> in some way. And I don't know what that is. Just like, this is pretty cool. And I can remember looking at trees and going, I've never seen trees like that before. You know, I've never taken the time to fully appreciate being in and one with nature. But like all these things that I'd never even thought about before. And I'm like, this is a fungus. This is not something that is addictive as being created in a lab 
that someone wants me to buy more and more of. It grows out there in cow shit. Mm. But we can't make money out of it. But Big Pharma can't make money out of it. Yeah, well, this, yeah, shit, there's so many of them, isn't there? Well, I'm, I'm really interested in it. I mean, you know, because my interest is mental health and, and clinical therapy, hip, hypnosis, acceptance, commitment, whatever. It doesn't even matter what the name is. It's, you know, something therapeutic for mental health. <clears throat> and so I've been watching a lot of this research. It started to filter through now in and around psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the stuff that's kind of psychoactive so we're talking lsd we're talking um psilocybin even mdma mm. one that i find amazing i'm not surprised with mdma it makes you feel amazing you want to you want to cuddle people like it makes you feel lovey right that's the whole thing <laughs> but um ketamine T- ketamine yeah right ketamine's yeah. amazing right like this I, I find this to be kind of like nonsensical but at, i mean at some level it makes sense the ketamine which is a horse trank has been shown to help people with depression. So there's a powerful tranquilizer that helps people who are depressed. Wow. How cool is that? Are you a fan of Pete Evans at all? Uh, Well, some of it. I think that he's, and you know, when, when he started talking about primal diet and things like that, like I'd been in and around that world because I used to own a gym um, for a long time, like before Pete became famous for it, you know, years before that I'd been involved. Mm. Um, so, so I was like, yeah, well, he's just pointing out stuff that's obvious. And then I saw his transition from clearly looking unwell, just physically looking unwell, being overweight, his face, his complexion, his, most especially his eyes. Right? Mm-hmm. And then he went through this protocol that he discovered from, I don't even know what he read or who he talked to or what. And I'm like, there you go. That, that, there's just proof. Like there's a guy who's on telly. It works. He's done it. I'm like, more power to you. And, and then, you know, to my mind, he's, start, he's fallen into the trap of becoming a bit of a caricature of himself. Like people expect a certain thing out of him and that's what comes out of it. And so it starts to slant it. I think he's got a lot of important stuff to say, but it now gets you know, dragged into people that are like on the conspiracy fringe. So that's my only concern. Like, I feel like the media did such a big job trying to discredit him and in pushing back, mm. he hasn't done himself a good service. That, that's just my, my opinion, right? I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of cool shit there, but then you've got to, you've got to drill in now. Like what, what's, what's coming out that, is useful and and where is he kicking against the pricks? You know, like sometimes I feel like I read some of his stuff and I'm like, you just put that out there to kick the, <laughs> you're just kicking it in the guts again just to see what kind of a response you can get. Mm. So, you know, mm. And I I I get to a point with a lot of this kind of stuff that's on the fringe of, you know, what do we need to be investigating here? What's real and what's not? Um, what's the science say? where is the information that's on the other side that's still scientific? Mm. Where can we find that? Um, so I struggle with that sometimes and end up going, la, 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 <laughs> put my hands over my ears and go, okay, I'll, I'll look into that another time. Um, and it's, I mean, that's, that's heightened here in Noosa because there are a lot of people that are more 
likely to investigate a, let's say, non-party line. And and more power to them. Like I don't have a problem. Like be as be as out there with what you want to investigate as possible. I'm mm. all for it. I'm all for it. I just think that sometimes people they believe in one thing that maybe is on the fringe of what popular opinion wants us to believe, and they fall into everything else as well. You know, like all of a sudden you're in flat Earth world. You know what I mean? Like we've we've, we've gone a little bit too far if we're starting to go flat Earth. But, you know, like investigate all the other stuff. It's important. Uh, I think there are important conversations to be had. We need to have the conversations. It's it's the critical thinking that comes along with those conversations. Like, yes, as part of it. And it's it's got to be openly discussed from both sides. Like, it's just you're only getting one or the other at the moment. There's too much divide. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that completely. And I think there are people like you've mentioned, Pete, who are doing their best to facilitate discussion and it's going wrong in some way. But before Pete Pete came out, I can can mention a number of people. Um, There's a guy called Rob Wolf who wrote Paleo Solution. Yeah. He's he's great. Um, He's outspoken, but he's never gone down. He's never never been labelled a kook to my mind, yeah. and uh, you've got Lauren Cordain who wrote the original Paleo Diet book and some of his ideas have not been debunked but challenged over time, but the way he went about it was very scientific and science is this evolving field. So if something that you find out refutes what got found 20 years ago, so be it. Um, and then there are other, Nora um, Gedgaudis. She wrote uh, Primal, I think it was Primal Body, Primal Mind. So this is all predating Pete Evans. Mm. But n- like of those three people, none of them got labelled as kooks like Pete does. Mm. So there's something there, right? I don't think it's because Pete's Australian. I think it's that, that there's a, a dynamic. You know, he's a celebrity chef. And then so it's all of a sudden, they're like, what, like, what the fuck do you know, Pete, about anything because you're just a celebrity chef? And I think that fed into it but I don't know that he does himself any favors anymore. I mean, I've read some of the stuff he's put out and I'm like, mate, you're not helping yourself. So, mm. but uh, true of anyone, but there are, I think that there must be a level of stress and um, push and pull when you have that much uh, like fame or infamy or that many, that, that you know, followers, so you're speaking to a larger audience. Maybe there's a pull to keep saying something. I don't know. Well, well, it's the. It was an interesting thing because I we actually meet um, Pete and Nick last year. I reckon it'd be great like, to sit down and have a couple with for sure. Like, <clears throat> he is in the top three people, top three men and top three people in the world that I respect most that I've met. So that it's, it's nice when you meet people and they don't shatter your dreams, isn't it? Fucking just the most real down to earth sit like we sat down and across the table and chatted for three or four hours. That's awesome. And, um, with him Did and he have anything they- to say about like perception and stuff like that? That's what I'd be interested to hear about from him. You know, like, 
because I, I can I can appreciate what he's trying to do, but I can only see how that feeds into the public sphere. Do you know what I mean? Like I've not sat down with him. Oh, 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 and this is what I mean. Like, and and he blew me away. And I've since met a couple of people around his circle as well. And you know, like the authenticity of the people that are around him as well. Mm-hmm. Um speaks pretty highly for me but he was i think he was really pissed off because no one went with him he, he just got isolated and thrown out um at what in the point? media for for the whole the whole lot like his, he, he was getting things on vitamin d and sunlight for your eyes like he's but but where there's smoke there's this fire and whether it's good or bad publicity the media just come in and blow it up oh, of course. and they and he, so uh, he got into shit for talking about vitamin D and absorption through the eyes. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Well, it was well, you know it led from all this because he was the celebrity paleo. You know, he popularized it. I suppose yeah, you know. He, but it, in Australia, he did for sure. But by by no means was he anywhere near the first. Or you know, like the, no. there's so much out there, as you well know, and you named off. But he, you know, his his wife actually said, "Oh, why don't you try this?" Um, because the Warriors team, her ex-husband used to own the Warriors um, in New Zealand and they were on the paleo diet. So anyway, he tried this, as you said, cleaned his health up and did all this sort of stuff and, you know, carried on down that, down that way. Um, But he just, the more he learned, the more he got, you know, like, everything would just get blown up and turned around and twisted mm. and all of that sort of thing. He's just a dude, skater, surfer, Gold Coast fella, yeah. you know. We, we turn up at their house and they live in this a shed house, man. Like no big flash freaking mansion or anything like that. You know, they've got a garden, they have a shed house. They embody what they talk about as far as their living practices, you know, like his wife would have to be probably the, one of the most beautiful, you know, how there's like, you know, how some women can be just have like the angelic, like nature and ambience about them. She's one of those, she's one of those people. She's just like really easygoing, relaxed, you know, that sort of stuff. And um, we had an awesome time there, and and that actually that was a big that was a big changing point in my life. For how did, how did it come about that you hooked up with with Pete? And sorry, Pete's wife's name is uh, Nick. Nick. Yep. Um, how did it come about? Uh, through Rach and and her work, and then um, they invited us down from Mackay, and we came down from Mackay and um, spent the weekend down there at Northern New South Wales, and. Um, not many people know, but we actually were going to possibly run their retreat for them. Um, We got an invite and we went and checked out the property, but that property didn't turn out. So they went a different way and we were, you know, we were, it was just a a, a possibility. Hmm. Um, But I just like um, that Pete's seen the inside network of of australian media and Uh that i really like the fact that he's providing a platform on evolve network tv tv that's an alternative to the mainstream 
and it's I'll not. I have to look into that. I, I don't know that network at all. Evolve Network, and it's got like it's he's it's got, for instance, all of his recipes and all of that sort of stuff. He's got vegan recipes, you know, all of the whole different types. It's not just one. It's just he just wants healthy and that sort of stuff. And he's not, you know, everyone expects him to be this perfect person and all of that sort of stuff, you know, like like what, you know, the media tends to portray people. But he's made some bad decisions on, like, doTERRA oils and, you know, things of recent and says some he's, – but he's just an everyday dude like you and me, you know. And um, and he'll <laughs> openly sh- sh- like share that shit. And um, yeah, I fucked up. Oops. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know best. I'm not going to tell you that I know best. You know, think for yourself. You know that sort of stuff. So I, I um I, I had a real big experience with him, and um, I, I wish more people would actually get to meet him because I I've then got to come back out of it and experience how the information they get people get from him. Mm. So um, everyone's got their own information that they've received, whether it be through media or meeting and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's a bit hard with the media these days. That's, and that's what I'm, that's kind of what my point was. And I'm not trying to backtrack because like it's, it, it seems to me that there was like massive vilification around the initial sort of output. Like, how dare you? And then for a while he was like, just, uh, you know, try it for yourself and shut up. And then, you know, it started, I thought it started to get pretty vicious, but then to me, you know, like me watching from the outside, it's like, I kind of felt like he was throwing stuff out there just to piss people off at certain points, you know? Well, there was a fair bit of back and forth with the networks, the seven networks for my kitchen rules and that sort of stuff. Uh, Um, There was, yeah. And we had some good stories like, I'm not sure I, that I, I can share because I'm not mine. No, don't. But... Maybe one day he'll be kind enough to talk to me if this thing actually takes off and we can have a chat about the stories. Oh, man. Uh, he just He's a dude that you wanted a campfire because oh, – and I get a – you know how if there's something risky to do that's exhilarating or something, mm. I'm probably one of those people that are going to – have a crack at it like feet right. first I'm one of those sort of people who just have a go you know have a crack mm. he's one of those people too but he has experienced quite a fair bit <laughs> like with his um because I didn't realize that he was actually he's not actually that popular in Australia his not his following's not in Australia it's in the states uh. he's he's big in the states so most of it, he spends like a third of the year in the states right but so he's like traveled and done some cool shit like he's a lot of on the evolve network you check it out um his and we chatted to us about it his um costa rica trip for ayahuasca his four-day sessions there and he's and he's got a a video documentary of that as well on there and um he's done ketamine as well you know like breath work as far as a person this is how I describe it. If you had, a, you know, like we're well off like Pete, right? And you had a job, your own restaurants, uh, you were, you know, had a TV on TV, right? You had money. But for the past 20 years, you'd been relatively holistic 
you had a holistic curiosity. So you read Anthony Robbins, all of that sort of stuff. And then did the, the, the food and the nutrition and that sort of thing. Mm. That man's gone out and pretty much had 30 years of experiences that he's been able to spend money on, whether it's, you know, going to energy healers, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So he's like, he's like this walking version of experiences that's gone and had all these healings and mm-hmm. fucking plant medicines and all of this sort of stuff. And it's just like, I could sit down next to five with you for, you know, six months and chat and we could still be coming up with new stories and fucking giggling at the, the same thing. Like it, it was, it was really weird because we sat across the table from each other and he sort of mirrored me a little bit about, you know, like being a bit, you know, not really stick to the rules, but a bit cheeky, but you know, really solid. And then his, like the girls were sort of mirroring each other sort of thing. It was, it was a great, it was a great, uh, great afternoon. And, um, one I'll remember. Yeah. Cause that was when we went up and looked at the retreat, that was the most, that was, yeah, that, that was the most amazing view nearly I've ever seen that retreat, but we didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't turn out. We still have plans to buy it one day when the abundance comes, you know, when I can get some creative financial, you know, positive cash flow going. Yeah. Yeah, It's coming. It's one of the things I say to people, it'll either happen or it won't, you know, there's no other option. And and knowing that it's either going to happen or it's not going to happen. Do you change what you're doing now? No, you just keep doing what you're doing. Enjoy it. You know, and then, I mean, this, this, like this podcast, right, came out of a conversation I had. So lockdown hits, my calendar disappears. It's already pretty tight because the whole way through the pandemic, my, my clinical practice has been up and down. It just is what it is. Mm-hmm. With hypnotherapy and psychotherapy, people look at it and they go, okay, do I go to a psychologist that I can get for half price? on a mental health plan with my GP or do I go to a kinesiologist or an energy healer? Cause I'm kind of on the cusp people. Some people think that hypnosis is magic, kind of like magic, like these wonderful energy healing things are perceived to be. Mm-hmm. And I mean that with all due respect, that's not, no, no, not I get negative, it. I, right. That's not a negative. I can see how you're in the middle there. Yeah. And then there's the people who are like, but you're not really a psychologist or you're not a counselor or, and I can't get a rebate. So I, you know, so like it was this weird, dynamic mm. anyway so when the lockdown hit and my calendar for the week went bloop, like literally to zero i'm like what can i do what can i actually do this week so i picked up my phone and i scrolled through and i got to see and there's a mate that I, a former client but now a good friend his name's maddie clark and i'm going to interview him and chat with him it won't be an interview we'll just shoot the shit probably go for four hours so he'll be on this podcast soon and he's like mate this is, let me tell you what I've been doing for the 18, last 80 months. And he's like sold his gym and done this. And, and now he's got this thing called a state of ride, which is online cycling. Uh, and it's all over the internet, right? It's taken off 18 months. It's like superstar. It's like, you talk a lot. Why don't you just start something up? Just do something. It's like, you coached me. You used to coach a gym. You do hypnosis, blah, 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 blah. Start something. Like, right. Yeah. Okay. So this happens five minutes later 
I'm talking to a legend like you for two hours, right? <laughs> Something's going to happen. I don't yeah. know if I'm going to make. I don't know if I'm going to make money out of it. You know, it's kind of like. Do you remember? Did you ever watch South Park? <laughs> for a bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a bit. Do you remember when there were like the um the underwear gnomes or something like that? There was an episode where the kids' underwear was disappearing. <laughs> All right, and they found out that there were these gnomes that were stealing the underwear from all the kids and they worked out that they had this plan to take over the world it was like step one steal underwear step three global domination but they just hadn't worked out step two (laughs) that's me right like i've got global domination here in this in the wellness space and uh talking to luke on zoom but i don't know what the middle bit is and it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, I got a bit of a piece too for that one. Got a. I reckon I'll have the full draft of my first manuscript for my book done in, in about two weeks. Week to or maybe a week. Me. Send it to me. So uh, I'll proof it. I'll proofread it. It's a. Um, I'm interested to how it how it reads and where it goes from there. You know, like that that's that step two part for me. You know, the in between, get it out. Yeah, I've you, you got it. a bit of experience on the the book. No, side I've got no things, idea so. how to do it. But you know, like to blame on trumpet, I'm very good at writing. Mm. I mean, I don't, I don't I don't think that you know that's not egotistical. There's some things I'm good at, and there's some things I'm shit at. I'm good at writing. <laughs> So I've been wanting to write a book for a long time. And I think what will happen for me is these discussions will start to direct how I get my message out and I'll be able to just like grab, grab my computer and start typing. Hmm. Yeah. But I reckon like, oh, for you, I mean, I don't even know what it's about, but like put it in front of a few people and get them to read it and get some feedback and then, listen to some people and don't listen to others and then just release it. Yeah. Release I, it. I think yeah, it'll be interesting. And that's, you know, you go down that path, right? Like I've, like I'll have a few doctors write in on the um, acknowledgements and that sort of stuff. Well, you know, forwards, I suppose. And mm. um, it's just mainly about cancer. It's only the, the past six years. And it's just from a perspective of whilst living with it. Cause a lot of the, past or present you know it's a bit different um Mm. but this is like a modern day take in australia and and the events the pitfalls of it Mm. um but ultimately the wisdom that comes out of it like just from that from that story so um, it'll be it'll be interesting to to see how it it reads and presents everywhere yeah i i get that feedback from a lot of people about it so um, I just it'll be how it morphs and where it, what it does because I I'd like to speak I love speaking to people and just being real, just real with people. Like mm. I don't, I'm not I don't like being completely polished or anything like that. Yeah. This, Mate, you're in this, the right this, place. This perfectionism world that we live in, and I hate that word too. It's it, it's weird. Uh... I come across it quite a lot with the clients I work with. They're just not doing anything because they want it all to be perfect and aligned before they step. Mm. Like just, just go. I can jump in. Fuck, just jump in. 
it'll straighten itself out. Oh, or it won't. And then you can or just it won't. A, and you take a step back and go, whoops, I went in the wrong direction there. Mm. So, and, and at least you're doing something. Because mm. doing nothing's a decision. Yes. Right? So true. So true. Oh, look, honest dead set, if you need someone to proofread that manuscript, I'll 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 do it for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I um I don't, I know, actually, I don't know where you want to go with it, but yeah, I've got a I've got a writer actually doing it, like a, a lady friend helping me ghost write the book. So it's perfect. We'll edit that out so they don't know. But um, yeah, fuck, that's a all, that's an interesting way of doing all, things because I'm not a writer. Listeners, all two listeners, yeah. we won't let them know that you've got a ghostwriter. I'm I'm not a writer, but I get labelled an author, and I instantly go, no, no, I'm not an author, you know. But I get presented like I'm an author. I just told my story, and there's the story, and you know, yeah. it's all me and coming from my voice. But you I'm know, a someone, talker, else someone else wrote it. Wrote it, yeah. Yeah, I'm an author. I don't really. That label doesn't really. I've got to get used to that one. Mm. Mm. But anyway, it'll be it'll be an interesting one. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if you can see it. Like it's just that's my bookshelf there. You can't really. That's full of stuff. Like my daughter cleaned up her bookshelf around the corner. And I said, don't touch mine because like that. there's so many books. That it doesn't, they don't fit. There's no organizing that bookshelf. It was, it was once pretty and it is now overflowing. And that's yeah, we gonna... just pile. There's just piles of books around. It's great. I love a good library. Yeah. I struggle to read off the digital stuff. Actually. That's, I, can't I do mean, it. I don't, I, I can't either. No, um, I can't do it. Even screens like, I'm a mitochondrial health person, so these are actually um, EMF glasses. All right. For your screen, and then when it comes nighttime, I put them on, and there's a red. There are red lens that remove all of the, well, a bigger spectrum of light. Wow. Mm. That's a bit poisoned. Head. Yeah, oh, man. The the blue light from screens yeah, yeah, and yeah. Yeah. LEDs and everything was just it. Uh, yeah. It's killing us slowly, but anyway, yeah. will that information will come out slowly as it will, or it won't. Well, it'll come out, but it'll probably be hard to find. Mm. Yeah, actually, that was it was quite interesting because the guy gave me the glass, and I meant to come back to you when we were chatting about cannabis before. Um, he actually just recently passed away last week, um, oh. and his battle he had a battle with cancer and and survived much longer than um what he was told sure but he said to me he goes because i was i was sort of like his supplier <laughs> he goes to me at the end of the day he goes this is the ultimate medicine he goes it eases the pain it makes you hungry and it gives you a good sleep he said it does it all at once and he he, he said the oil the the oil was too hard on him. It made him a bit drowsy the next day and that sort of mm. thing. But he said, he said that was actually his best medicine. And this was like a double degree scientist, toxicologist guy yep. who had all of the doctors giving him pain meds. Like he didn't like, um, he didn't want to do all the oxys and, and all the codeines and all the morphines and that sort of Awful stuff. So stuff. he, 
yeah, he he did, and he fought bloody hard and so admirable of him. And he didn't go through the morphing route and stuff, but um, yeah, he was. It was just something that he said to me. It was, you know, from a man who at the end of his life there and said, you know, about the cannabis that it was, you know, his his best medicine. Obviously, not the most potently strong as far as pain relief goes, but for for the general, yeah, it was really good. Pain's an interesting thing as well. And my perspective is a little different, I think, than a lot of people's with pain. I'm investigating it via this idea of how can hypnosis help and how can how can the sensation and the experience of pain change just with the way it's received and responded to mentally and emotionally, mm. maybe mm. even spiritually. Like, and I don't profess to be an expert. Like, I'm still learning. I have I have a friend who is an expert on pain who I hope to talk to soon and get a recording of because it'll just be tremendous but like we we know how pain works we, we know what chronic pain is we know what acute pain is mm. we know all pain happens in the brain now if we know that it all happens in the brain then we have a way that we can modify our experience of it and we can do that with drugs and we can do that other ways as well so yeah i often wonder if there's something like cannabis which is clearly beneficial and there's something like hypnosis and there are other, you know, mindfulness as well, of course, that when you start layering these things on top of each other, what do you get? Like what's, what's possible for someone. So I remember an amazing story when I was first investigating hypnosis, when I was still on the fence going, I'm not even sure what this thing is, (laughs) but you know, like that little itch you get about something, you're like, there's something here, but I don't know what it is and I'm not yet ready to fully investigate it, but I'll just tiptoe around the edges for a bit. I heard a story about a guy and it's, this is kind of anecdotal. It's probably 14th hand. And, and so I can't point anyone to specific, you know, like I can't reference this. He had stomach cancer, which to my understanding is one of the least comfortable uh, cancers when it, when it gets to end of life kind of scenario. And he was taught by a hypnotherapist how to move the pain from his abdomen into one of his hands. And so he could sit and still experience the pain, but it wasn't where it was. And so he could localize in his hand and then he would still be able to do things because he could move because the pain was in his hand Mm -hmm. and his family were taught as well, how to help him through that process. So they would remind him about his hand, but not his stomach. So he would be able to feel his hand and what it did for like the last few weeks of his life would it just allowed him to have less pain in, in however he experienced that and therefore a higher quality of life for his end of life. Mm. I, I still don't understand. I mean, I don't know what happened for him. I understand something of the protocol that would have been used to facilitate that from a hypnotic point of view. I don't know what other protocols he was on, but I, I, my understanding is there wasn't uh, anything like opioids involved. It's like, wow, you know what? There's a, there's a, there's a, an opportunity here that we need to investigate that can be not about money, but can be about like making a real difference, even if it is for two weeks, you know? I think things like that are so much closer than um, we realize, but they're being inhibited by a lot of things. So, 
um, I'll go through and say that one of my um, lead doctors is like chemistry cross physicist sort of oncologist. So he was he was a mathematician that um, got forced into becoming a doctor. Essentially, um, he loves mathematics, but he um, his his where he's taken myself and Rachel like in the direction of being open to unified physics and the way that's going. And he talks about it from his experiences of, you know, people have had a, a limb cut off and then um, still experiencing pain through that limb and, and, and things like that. Um, and, and all of this, and then we get into the, you know, we quantum field, you know, quantum entanglement and, you know, and, where I'm at now is in this unified physics field where that what you're talking about is not, not so far away. You know, no, it's just I that hope we come to it soon. It, it, it's just that the, the, the hardest part for society to realize is that that is being blocked, inhibited and protected as much as possible from opening up that world of health to people mm. and as much as it, it, it as much as you know that might not sound like a big statement it really is in the fact that people just automatically oppose that you know that that's the realm of possibility that could be open but i see it every day mate i, I know they're exactly doing, doing that they're doing it and you know it's like the whole world gets broken to think that the government's actually not putting your best interests at heart. No. I understand for the financial side, but for the health side of things, more importantly, you know, everybody should have a right to good well, health. Is but that, Health is finance as far as you know, at that level. Yes. You know, yes. Like you're getting yep. into the world of big pharma. It's not a, I mean, you know, these companies have billions of dollars to pay fines with when they lie. So, you know, we're talking orders of magnitude greater than, you know, amounts of money that the common person could even conceive of. Yeah. And they, and they don't even sniff at the fines. The fines are oh. nothing. They just, you just take them on the, on the hip because you already made 70 billion off that one. So mm -hmm. what's one or 2 billion, you know, like, and, and people need, need to realize that it's not just restricted to big business like mining yeah. and pet petroleum, all of this, you, your hospital in there that, that you emergency ward is a business. It's not a bloody what's name. It's a business. Get that into your head because you are a customer and that is what you're in there for mm. medicine business. Uh, Sorry. There's a, um, it's all right. I know you don't have a TV, but uh, there is a great, maybe you'll get your hands on it. It's a great Netflix uh doco called the chemist and oh was it was the pharmacist or the chemist oh no the pharmacist no, the pharmacist. pharmacist you are right oh shit see yes. I'm, I'm 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 swapping words here the pharmacist so you've heard of it so this guy whose son got killed um and then he investigates drug use and starts discovering oxy and as a pharmacist the prescriptions are starting to go through the roof but no one wants to hear anything about it because everyone's making money just fascinating, fascinating how hard it was for people to listen to this guy going, uh, I think we've got a problem here. Like, 
we are creating an addiction to something legal. Meanwhile, there's all this other stuff that you can't use. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, well, that's just like discussion from another time, but that, yeah, that was yeah. great. The pharmacist just talk, talks to it, what you've been talking about, you know, just, wow. It's like this, it's like the meme. I mean, there's some great memes going around at the moment. The one I'll always like was, um, when you're a kid, you got told not to get peer pressured into taking drugs, you know, like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I can see where that's going. Yeah. You know, and now in the modern world, you know, how reality changes. It's weird. It's so weird. Mm. Uh, my my wife was talking to a friend that's in Melbourne and she said there's a lot of, all they're talking about is the vaccine. And to the point where people are asking, like, have you had it? Are you going to have it? When are you going to have it? And that's like the big topic of conversation. It's like, wow. Happy to be mm. in a country town. Yeah, yeah, no, it's um, I I, I struggle Big with topic. it. Big topic. Big topic. Yeah, I just I and I generally just stay away from it now as as oh, much as too. possible until oh, look, I want someone people to feel comfortable with their decisions and their opinions. And I don't, I, I'm not going to tell anyone what they should or shouldn't be doing. It's not my place to do that. I, I'm, I'm not medically trained. I'm not. I'm not a virologist. I have my opinions, but they're my opinions. You know, I have advice from my doctor, but that's my advice. <laughs> you get a different advice. I've, mm-hmm. I've heard, I've heard stories of people who've been vaccinated who had a fine experience. I've heard stories of people that had an awful experience with it. And that is all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the most important part about it is that we just respect. We have to respect each other's decisions for it because the division is the biggest problem at the end of the day for that. It's it not the, it's, yeah. It's coming to that now, yeah. Yeah, and it's already, you know, it's, like, it's getting bad down there. I, d- I don't know how long Melbourne's going to stay in lockdown or Sydney, um, but there's there's a lot of people down there that are unhappy and it's growing more and more by the day and it's all the lower socioeconomic people that, that um, have just been hurt and continue to get hurt while, you know, the people up top get fatter and fatter. So mm. anyway, that's all good. All good. It's a nice Sunday. I need to get caught up on that stuff. Yeah. I might actually go and get myself some vitamin D through the I eyes. Think that's, the, that's the plan. Yeah. Not the uh, vitamin D is the best way through the eyes in the afternoon. It is Morning. Unre- oh, yeah. For anyone to like even conceive of that not being an accurate statement is, is uh, mortifying to me. I, so I've, I've went recently and, and maybe this will be the last thing I say, cause we're well over two hours. Um, so I went to my doc because I got, I got crook, not COVID, but got crook and like just wiped me out for about two weeks, no energy. And I was like, this is a lot like when I had glandular fever as a 17 year old, like chronic fatigue type stuff. So we got a whole bunch of bloods done. But like the full spectrum, not just mm. the, you go and get your cholesterol. Like this GP is great. He's just got everything done. And he's like the only thing. And he's like, it's in, it's okay. It's in, it's in the range. But the only thing that I would say is a bit low is vitamin D. And he's like, it's winter. Just get out in the sun more. Like that was his prescription. I'm like, all right. All right. I can, I can, I can, I can get down with that. Mm-hmm. Like, um, have some good oils and, uh, 
he gave me like a vitamin B complex. I went to a compounding pharmacy, like an old school compounding pharmacy. Yeah, I use those. Yeah. Got the good gear. Yeah. And feeling better. Something to it. Vitamin D is crucial. That's one of the core fun, foundational well, pillars. It and it's kind of hang together. Um, that's what the mitochondrial health is. Uh, if you're yeah. uh, interested in a bit more science on that is Dr. Jack Cruz. Um, he's a bit yeah. of a nutca- nutter, but his science Cruise on what Cruz with a Z or Cruz with a Tom with the, Cruise? Uh, with a K and a Z. Oh, K R U Z E. Oh, yeah, Jack Cruz. Oh, Cruz. Yeah, Doctor Jack Cruz. He's um he's actually a neurosurgeon, um, but went through and his science is fantastic. Um, as far as that goes, he's um. An interesting character himself but his science is absolutely fantastic and it's it's the so the dha molecule mm-hmm. um which is the important factor in it and we get that from well the sen 2 dha which is from f- mainly fish oils yeah. um fish um a lot of the supplementary oils are generally gone hot and cold that you buy so you don't get the effectiveness from the the vitamin three uh the because there's two types of vitamin D, D and D3. Um, so, yeah, I highly put that in. And getting, you know, an hour to two hours of sunshine a day is on my list to do. It's always it's, it's a massive part of it. And getting your bare feet into the into the soil or the water oh, or the whatever, that? the ground. Yeah. The old school earthing. It's And it's science, you know. Like oh, of course it is. It, of course it is. It's shit that we should be learning not but it's not a pill man it's not a pill well it takes up precious time that you should be you know supplying to the society with something but you know that's the positive thing i'm taking out of this like i said lockdown hits holy shit clients disappear holy shit money disappears holy shit what am i going to do well i haven't been for a nice two-hour walk in the bush for a long time Mm. and i've done that every day this week Oh, nice. Now, aside from my left calf muscle saying, excuse me, young sir, what are you doing? <laughs> I feel great. You know, and um, this conversation came out of that, but like just the idea. We, wouldn't, we would not be sitting here had it not gone for walks. So it's mm. perfect. So I've just, I've reconnected with something that used to be part of my health protocol, my wellness protocol, and now it's back. All right, we're going to keep doing it. And on that note, I'm going to go for a walk. Yeah, too easy, brother. Lovely yeah. chatting to you. Thanks, man. Like that's two hours. That was easy, wasn't it? Yeah, piece of cake. We're gonna do that piece again. Yeah, right. no worries. We'll do it under the influence next time. We'll do a real <laughs> Joe Joe Rogan podcast. Holy moly! I tell you what, I'll end with this. I got a <laughs> local guy who's um, been in Noosa for a while. S- smoked the whole time he's here. Went to a party a little while back, and he's like, "Adam, would you?" Lo-? Yeah, I'm like, "Yes, I would." So pass it around. And he, there was a young bloke who was staying locally as a, a backpacker, all of 22, talking a pretty big game. And so he sits and it gets passed around to take two, pass it on, take two, pass it on. He, came, he comes about five minutes later. He's like, I'm fucked. <laughs> he's like, are you fucked too? And I'm like, welcome to Noosa. Have a nice day. Like, <laughs> this, is, I, like, this, is, this is heavy shit. This is just some schoolboy stuff and he's like oh fuck <laughs> like, old bloke 
first, just in the corner having a giggle. He's lit a whole another a whole next the whole next spliff up for himself and gone through it. The young bloke's had like two or three tokes and he's sideways. Ugh. They're enjoyable times. I love those like circles That's and environments. Magnificent to watch this kid who just had his whole reality obliterated because he was like <laughs> full of ego. And you know, old bull, young bull, not me, because it was heavy stuff. There's something satisfying about that, right? Like, as yeah. a, for some reason, there's a male too. There's something satisfying about oh, just humbling people, but, oh, I, but lightly. Not that he wasn't humble, but he was talking a big, like, you know, I've done this, I've done that kind of game. Yeah, but that's what I mean, you know, like in a real lighthearted spirit, but, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, just yeah. being sort of, you know, brought back a notch, you know. Just like, mate, nice okay, one. just take a seat and ride it. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. Uh, too easy man more next time thanks brother alright you take care man